Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, read me on Bleacher Report, and follow me on Twitter at Rick Buker and on Instagram at Rick underscore Buker. Now, as you guys might know, if you remember the last Buker Friendless, I was a little hoarse when I did that, uh, recorded that episode. Um, just as a way of explanation, it wasn't from screaming at my dog or my family or my kids or TV. It was actually, I worked out really hard beforehand and uh, for some reason, breathing really hard for a long time before I did the podcast, left me a little... Not breathless, but just raw in the throat. Not sure exactly why. And of course, I did the same thing again this time. Only, voila, no difference. Difference might have been, now that I think about it, is I had just gotten off a plane and then worked out. So probably more than you guys needed to know, but I felt like I owed you an explanation since some of you did take note that uh, didn't sound quite quite the same. That's why. That's why I didn't didn't wait until my voice was better because I didn't really actually know what the deal was. Kind of figured it out. All right. In any event, I like to bring you guys something fresh every podcast. Don't like to just talk about anything that you could potentially hear on the radio or someplace else. And so while I have spent the last eight years expanding my focus beyond just basketball or the NBA, and in some cases, drawing on banks of knowledge and experience I built before I became known through ESPN as the foremost authority on basketball in the NBA. You may not know, but started my career not in basketball or the NBA. In any event, um, I don't want to start with the UCLA-Washington State game, which I did watch, or the Patriots-Antonio Brown saga, which I will talk about before the end of the podcast. Um, with training camps for the NBA a week away from opening, I wanted to provide you guys a list of teams that are being wildly overrated or underrated based on their off-season moves and misinformed interpretations of what those moves pretend, at least as I as I see it. And so it's basically, am I looking at all of the NBA previews uh, that have been put out so far and taking exception with 
some of the things that are out there, the most notable things. And it, what's weird is it's kind of consistent. You have these uh, these previews from various outlets, but there's a lot of group thought that goes into this. And I, almost every one of them, I see it now where it's a group of experts or analysts that are making these decisions. And generally when you have the group think, things are going to meld to the middle. You're not going to get anything, I don't know, extraordinary. It kind of balances out and everybody, you end up with the safe, safe results or the obvious results, even if they're not necessarily accurate. All right, so, and to be clear, I don't do this for my satisfaction. I do it for yours. I know that some of you really enjoy coming back to me and saying, but Buker, you said, or how about those fill in the blanks? And I don't want to deprive you of the possibility of being able to do that again. So uh, just remember, I was the first and only guy to tell you the Warriors were not going to win another championship last season and that it would be a team from the East that knocked them off. Now, my first bet was Boston, granted, but I had Toronto right behind them. And I did say it was going to be one of the two at the beginning of the year. So just going to leave that. Just going to leave that for you right there. Uh, all right. We are only going to hit, just for expediency, we're only going to hit the Eastern Conference in this particular podcast. And we will save the West either for the next podcast that I do with Ryan Hollins or the next friendless one. And we're going to start with the Chicago Bulls. Now, while most experts and analysts, and I'm using air quotes on that because we throw around those terms as loosely as we do genius, more air quotes when it comes to coaches, most of those experts and analysts in the previews have the Bulls making a significant improvement from last year's 22-win season, have them in the 30s. It's just not significant enough. I'm well aware that leaps from the bottom of the NBA pile to respectability is generally a multi-year process, and that's the leap that the Bulls are trying to accomplish. But there are times when circumstance allows a faster rise than normal, and the circumstances in the East this year uh, are going to allow that. Yes, the Bulls had the fourth-worst record in the league last year, but they didn't have the fourth-worst talented roster. They just had the fourth-worst talent on the floor, thanks to a combination of injuries, a coaching change, tanking, a trade, if healthy, and look, Last two years, tanking aside, they've been legitimately riddled with injury to some rather young players, some of whom need to prove that they're capable of staying healthy for an entire season. But if those young guys play 70-plus games, combined with the veteran additions they've made, and their luck in the draft with Kobe White falling into their lap, I'm saying a 20-game improvement Flirting with a 500 record not only is possible, it should be expected. Now, understand, even assuming health, assuming that Tomas Sadoransky and Thaddeus Young fit in without a hitch, I still normally wouldn't suggest that a leap like that is possible in most seasons. But that's where circumstance does enter. This is one of those years where the East has far more clear have-nots than haves, including 
at least two that made the playoffs that I'm not sold are bound to make the playoffs again. And that's the Nets and the Magic. I would just ask you this. Take a look at the entire Eastern Conference and show me one team that you can say certifiably, based on their additions and subtractions, is going to be better than it was a year ago other than the Bulls. Miami Heat, thanks to Jimmy Butler, you're vastly overestimating how Jimmy can do, or how much Jimmy can do by himself, and you're not taking into account what the loss of Dwayne Wade and Josh Richardson is going to have. You're also the same guys who are saying that Jimmy Butler is a franchise player were the same guys saying that Kevin Love was. Stop it. Uh, or maybe you're saying the Celtics, because of the chemistry improvement with Kyrie Irving out the door and the head start Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum got playing on Team USA. I'm not trying to create your arguments for you. I'm just giving you some of the stuff that I've heard or what if I were trying to make that argument where I would go. For those of you who are, you're not taking into account the massive loss in size and physicality with Al Horford, Aaron Baines, and Marcus Morris out the door. Or what you're suggesting is, presumably, that Kemba is somehow going to provide something close to what the combination of Kyrie Terry, and Terry Rozier did. Kind of hard. Kind of hard to make that argument. Legitimately. Or maybe some of you are saying, well, Philadelphia, they added Al Horford, they kept Tobias Harris. We'll, we'll get to Philadelphia. But I'm not putting them in the camp either. They didn't definitively get better. They might have held serve. The biggest mystery that I'm seeing in the previews concerns a team that few outside Michigan seem to care about, and that's the Detroit Pistons. Based on the previews I've seen, the general expectation is that the Pistons are going to take a step back from their 41-41 record. Now, I don't know if that's because they pulled up so lame in the playoffs and that's the last we saw them or I don't know. I, I, I the explanations in the previews are, are, are pretty vague. And when I look at the East again, with most every team losing something and the Pistons certainly not losing anything that contributed last year. I, I just, I don't, I don't get where Detroit is going to take a step back. If Blake Griffin is healthy, this is a team with a winning record, for sure. Now, he, he's credited with playing 75 games last year, but the number in which he was able to truly play like himself is probably closer to 65. And at age 29, and with the time that he puts into his health and physical condition, and the deliberate pace at which the Pistons play, and you're adding Derrick Rose and Markeith Morris to their bench, I just I certainly don't see them going backward. Now, Joe Johnson is a feel-good signing from his big three performance. I don't have a whole lot of hope that he's going to do anything significant. But if there was a place he could make a contribution, it would be with a team that plays slower and has a rim protector like Andre Drummond. The Joe Johnson can still play in the league. Carmelo Anthony should still be playing in the league. What's being overlooked in all of these instances is that 
the ability to play defense, not just score, is a vital part. And to play defense when the game is played at a high tempo. You have to be able to guard. Especially if you're we're just adding you as a an additional piece. There aren't any I can't think of too many designated scorers in the league. If they are, they never left the league. So uh that's where Joe Johnson I for his sake, I hope that he does contribute something, but I'm not counting on that. Derrick Rose and Markeith Morris, that's another story. The the other underrated team is, so I gave you Detroit, I gave you Chicago. The last underrated team might be the most ridiculous, and that's the defending champion Toronto Raptors. I've seen their win total reduced from last year's 58 in the regular season, to the mid-40s. Yes, Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green have moved west. That's just it. They moved west. Who in the east is so much better that they're all leapfrogging Toronto? And we're not talking about one team or two teams. Philadelphia moves up, okay, all right. It's debatable, but okay. Milwaukee was already ahead of them. But if you're talking that they're going to 45 wins, that means that means you're looking at them being like a sixth, seventh, eighth seed. Forget all the experience under pressure and confidence that the Raptors collectively gained from making the march to a title. Look at what they have. Pascal Siakam, Marcus Saul, Serge Ibaka, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, plus an OG Ananobi who wasn't available during the playoffs thanks to appendix surgery, only 21. High hopes for him and what he's going to be able to contribute. They added Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, who came over from making a nice contribution to the Nets. Now, I don't know if Stanley Johnson or Campaign are going to make a tra- contribution, but they're on low-risk deals. And if the light is going to come on for them, getting dealt in the case of Stanley and having to prove himself in summer league for pain, those have been switches for players in the past. The absence of Kawhi could be a factor come playoff time. I'm not saying it, it's not. But during the regular season, the Raptors should be maybe, arguably, a more well-oiled machine than they were a year ago. I, look, I distinctly remember watching the times over the first 82 games, and they were as good or better with Kawhi off the floor for stretches, in large part because it's a little bit of a ball stopper. And here's the added bonus in Kawhi and Danny Green not being there. Beating the Raptors isn't going to have the same value as beating the defending champs normally has when they're at full strength, which means they're less likely to get everybody's best shot as the Warriors and other defending champions have in the past. Now for the, uh, the overrated in the East. And we'll start with the Brooklyn Nets. In that, I've seen them put on par with the Raptors this coming season as a 45-win team, which would mean they'll take a slight step up from last season's 42-40 and mark, which was good for the sixth seed in the East. Did we learn nothing from the Celtics of two years ago? I'm not referencing the arrival of Kyrie Irving alone, although 
that certainly is reason to wonder how much better the Nets will be with Kyrie over D'Angelo Russell. And I'm not comparing the two from a talent standpoint. I consider Kyrie to be far, far better than D'Angelo. I'm talking about the special bond created among overlooked players who come together on a team with no expectations. That was the Celtics two years ago. And that was also the Nets last season. No one was projecting them as a 45-win team and playoff lock this time last year. But now they are. And that changes everything. This Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Angelo Russell, Alice Jefferson, like they didn't care who got the shine. They were just glad that they were collectively getting the shine. And they had guys like Jared Dudley, vastly underrated in terms of their contribution as leaders in the locker room. He was the, he was the player whisperer when it came to being in those guys' ear. A little bit like I saw the same experience with Jared Jack with the, with the Warriors when they made their first step up. And this was also a squad that had no problem with a very young, inexperienced, unproven coach in Kenny Atkinson and how he wanted to use them. He could mix and match to his heart's content, and he wasn't going to get any pushback from anybody. And all that, all that was just enough to get over 500 in the East. Now, I can see them doing it again, but I could also see a step backward or flatlining being more likely than some significant step forward. And maybe 45 wins isn't a significant step forward. And maybe with some of the other teams falling off more significantly. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That there's room for that. I'm just, it feels as if everybody thinks that Last year was this monumental cornerstone put into place. And there's no doubt that they're going to build off of that. I just feel as if last year there was a lot of special elements and ingredients that came together to make the Nets what they were. And that those ingredients aren't going to necessarily be there this time around. So that's what makes me think that there's just a little too much optimism about the Nets taking a step forward. Now, adding Kyrie Irving and adding Kevin Durant, obviously, that's a huge amount of talent. But KD's not going to be there. And it will be interesting to see how Kyrie plays and how he leads. Because this was the concern that most teams had. That they want Kyrie to be the best player on their team. He was with the Celtics last year, and that didn't work out too well. Now, I've mentioned what the Celtics have lost and why I actually could see them take another step back. 
And they may have a fast start because Kemba, Jalen, and Jason are already in midseason form thanks to playing with Team USA. But I also expect that that will level out once teams figure out how to exploit their lack of size. And boy, are they missing some size. Uh, Al Horford, Aaron Baines, and the screens that they were setting to create their pick-and-roll opportunities. Uh, we saw Kemba Walker when he didn't have a big that could set screens and was a threat. Wasn't quite the same player in Charlotte. So we're, we're going to see how that works out. The last two overrated teams on my list are the 76ers and the Bucks. Now, the Sixers are projected to dominate the East and represent them in the finals. And while I don't have a particular team I feel is sure to be better than them, and I could see them having the best regular season record in the conference, I still want to know where their leadership is going to come from and who their go-to, and their, who their go-to guy is. You know, the intangible but indispensable ingredients that every championship caliber team must have. I can tell you, Al Horford isn't providing either one of those things. And as much as I like Tobias Harris and his inside-outside scoring ability, I'm not convinced yet that he's a give-me-the-ball-and-get-out-of-the-way guy. He has his moments, but takes a different breed. And generally, at this point in a guy's career, he's already demonstrated that he has that. And Tobias has not. Certainly not on the biggest stage the sport has to offer. Now, if there is a team I might favor over the Sixers, it's the Bucks. But we're also, if I'm doing so, I'm expecting a huge leap from Giannis Antetokounmpo. And uh, you know what the truth is? I included them as an overrated team because I'm still bothered by everything that I read in the World Cup coverage, particularly the previews about watch out Team USA if you face Greece because you're going to be facing the best player in the world because Giannis was the MVP of the NBA last year. And somehow he was going to make Greece a force in World Cup competition. Which, to me, is anybody who's writing that is, does not understand the international game because the international game is exactly the style of play that exposes Giannis's weaknesses, not enhances his strengths. He's an athletic freak, and that plays well in the NBA. He's not a dissect-you-with-tactics type of star, and that's what it takes, along with teammates who understand tactics, to thrive in international competition. Look, I like the Bucks and I like Giannis, but I also believe they're going to miss Malcolm Brogdon a lot. Playmaking was what they didn't have enough of, and Brogdon provided a lot of it. And can Giannis take that step up? Can he be a playmaker? He's going to have to add that mid-range jump shot. He's going to have to be able to survey and see the floor and make decisions under pressure better than he did. Is he capable? Does he have the work ethic? Like I've, as I've said before on this podcast, There are guys that I really trust who have worked with him, who have coached him, who say that he will get there. I defer to them. I just don't know if he's going to get there this year. And that's where it gets tricky because once his big money kicks in, 
makes it a little bit harder to get those pieces. It's This is the delicate balance of building a championship team. It's a little bit like quarterbacks in the NFL. You want to try to uh, find a great quarterback and make your run at a Super Bowl uh, before you have to pay premium dollar for your quarterback because it allows you to spend money everywhere else and you still can take advantage of having a quarterback good enough to get you there. The reason the Patriots have been able to do it is because Tom Brady has accepted way below market value uh, pay for most of his career. All right. Uh, before I move on to the NFL portion of the podcast, I do want to give a shout out to our friends at Republic Jet Center. There's a reason you choose to fly privately into the New York metro area, and that's to avoid delays. When flying into New York City, Republic Jet Center in Farmingdale, New York, really should be your only choice. Don't get caught up in delays flying into Teterboro or White Plains. Choose Republic Jet Center, and you'll experience all the reasons why you choose to fly privately. Not only can you land and take off on time, but getting to the, the, the city is as quick as a 12-minute helicopter ride which their white glove concierge service will gladly arrange while you chill in their 100,000 square foot facility, array of snacks, beverages, flat screens, all provided while you wait. And if you've never flown private, just find out what it's all about. Visit www.republicjetcenter.com. Imagine living that life. See if maybe it fits into your budget. Just, you know what? Do it just to experience it because it's, it is pretty cool. And for those who already are part of the private jet set, mention this ad and RJC will provide a very notable discount on your refueling cost. All right. So I was putting my thoughts together for this podcast on a flight Sunday afternoon and I'm watching the Ravens and Chiefs and I see a Ravens pass rusher dive and grab Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs quarterback around the ankles as he's releasing a throw. And then I see a flag land on the turf a second or two after Mahomes reaches the same destination. And it was about all I could do not to throw my hands up and whack the lady sitting next to me. Look, can we just stop pretending that the league doesn't treat quarterbacks completely different from any other player on the field? That it's no longer, it's no longer even tackle football as far as QBs are concerned. And as ridiculous as it is to watch, it has to be brutal to be a pass rusher. Your job is to sack the quarterback. But if you don't do it just the right way, or even if you do do it the right way, but uh, an official determines that there's just a little too much oomph, there was a little too much possibility that the quarterback might be hurt, uh, there's a chance that instead of loss of yardage, instead of a big play, it's a penalty. It's plus 15 yards and a first down, which means more work for you. Why not just make it clear the rules of engagement have changed? That a game where the forward pass did not even exist when it was first invented and then was frowned upon as a risky approach to offense well into the 20th century, that it's, we've, we've seen another turn of the wheel. It's evolved once again in a significant way. Let's make it that if a pass rusher grabs the quarterback with two hands for a one-second count, he's down. I know that sounds extreme. It sounds like touch football. But honestly, either that or just 
I don't I don't know how you maintain sacking the quarterback as part of the game, but you're constantly being tested as to how you can sack them. The game's too physical. It's too fast. These quarterbacks are too fast. By the way, interesting tidbit. The forward pass was actually introduced as a means of making the game safer back in 1906. You've heard of student body right to describe a sweep in football, right? Well, right, left, straight ahead, steamrolling the defense was pretty much every play. And it was causing so many injuries and even deaths to the point that there was talk, serious talk, national serious talk of banning the game altogether. And as I see it, we're basically at another turning point in the game's history where now the forward pass has become such an exciting, entertaining part of the game and football has become worth so much money in the entertainment industry that keeping quarterbacks capable of making big plays healthy is now more important than anything else, certainly more so than the feelings of the game's pass rushers. I'm sure you saw, maybe didn't, uh, the stat on Miles Garrett of the Browns leads the league in both sacks and roughing the passer penalties. And I'm thinking, at least the way the rules are now, I'm not sure that you can be the first without risking the latter. And I'm also sure the analytics gurus and historians will complain that the definition of a sack, changing the definition, will wreak havoc with the record books. To which I would counter, aren't the stats for quarterbacks and wide receivers already wreaking havoc in this day and age compared to when both quarterbacks and their receivers had to fear for their lives? And now... They don't, or less so. I don't see a difference. Look, the game evolves. The game changes. It's a business. You want to maintain it in an entertaining way. Look at the changes in the NBA, baseball. With the, they're a little more subtle in terms of the ball is different. But nonetheless, changes this whole idea that if you change it, well, then the records don't have the same meaning they don't have the same meaning anyway. That's fool's gold to believe that the, the numbers from decade to decade can be compared to give us an honest appraisal of how players in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s compare to those in the last 20 years. As for Antonio Brown and the Patriots, here's what we learned. Nothing. Or at least nothing new. Patriots are about winning by any means necessary. Is that new? No. Honor? Playing by the rules? Optional. We know that. This organization reeks with the attitude that they set the rules and that they can do whatever they want. Bill Belichick demonstrates that at every press conference. Tom Brady did the same during the Inflate Gate investigation. Same goes for Antonio Brown. Everyone is acting as if this is aberrant behavior for him, that he must have CTE or needs medication. The reality is he's been involved in disturbing, disturbing incidents going all the way back to college. It was in an incident long before anybody thought he had NFL talent of attacking a security guard. The reality is, 
he's been involved in disturbing incidents for decades. And as early as 2012 with the Steelers, he was yelling at coaches and teammates and playing the diva. He skipped practices. He's attacked or embarrassed various members of the Steelers organization through social media. Nothing that's been happening in the last three, four months is a sudden turn. He's been a menace off the field, got caught driving as fast as 100 miles an hour, threw furniture out of his apartment window onto a patio below, uh, reportedly injured a kid. All that's really changed is that he left the Steelers organization, which clearly did a tremendous job for more than a few years of keeping Brown's distractions from derailing the franchise or becoming a public spectacle. Now, the Raiders weren't so lucky, and the Patriots, after the first test, decided not to even try. I don't know where Antonio lands next, but I know this. Nothing is going to change until he realizes that something must. First step in solving a problem is acknowledging that you have one. And the problem here is not with the NFL, but with Antonio Brown. I get it. He looks at the behavior of Robert Kraft. You know, there's, a, there's always a seed of truth in what guys say. I get it. We don't hold owners to the same demands of decorum that we do players. It's not fair. But Antonio Brown's not the guy to wage that fight. If you're going to wage that fight, you have to be on the right side of it. And he's clearly not there yet. That does it for this episode of Buker Friendless. In my next podcast, I will be joined by Will Blackman, NFL vet, Super Bowl champ. And we will get into all the young, unsung QBs who are making splashy debuts. The Daniel Jones, the Kyle Allens, the Gardner Minshews. And we're going to discuss which ones can continue to make a splash and which ones are more like Mitch Trubisky, as in those who could drop off once NFL defenses have some tape on them and identify their weaknesses. We're going to talk about what is it in their game that defenses, once they get comfortable or familiar, they might be able to exploit or make it make them at least adjust. Uh, also, check out the other podcasts on the United Wecast Network. Uh, get Some by comedian Gary Owen and Age Groupies by Mike and Lindsay, two relatively normal, middle-aged, regular folk who will tell you why they run, swim, and bike insane distances for pleasure. Uh, my wife happens to be a guest on one of their latest podcasts after competing in her second triathlon ever alongside Iron Woman Lindsay. But in the meantime, don't forget to review the podcast uh, on iTunes or wherever you get it. And uh, just click the stars, however many you want to give us. Leave a comment. We always appreciate that to know how we're doing. And if you want us to do something for you, screenshot that review and send it to at Friends, and you will be eligible to win some prizes. All right. That does it for this podcast. In the meantime, as always. Thanks for listening.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.